this is Always Be Watching. Hi. You're listening to Always Be Watching. R. Hi. Hi, I'm Christopher Yates. <laughs> this is the Always Be Watching podcast, a podcast where myself, Chris Yates, and my good friend, Dan Barrett, talk about things that we've been watching. Hello, Chris. Hi, Dan. How are you? Look, it's a pleasure to be here once again. Chris Yates, if people haven't listened to this show, mm-hmm. okay, the idea of it is it's very similar to you're at a mate's house, you know, you've talked about the important things in life. How's, yeah. how's the family? Like, how's the family? How's the dog? Oh, that's good brew that you've made, you know, just <laughs> you know, the home brewing. That's what men do these days, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gives another home a home brew longy. Yeah. I, I, I like what you've been doing with the retaining wall that you've built. Yes. Yeah. All and the important conversations. But then you move on to the real important conversation, which is, hey, what have you been watching lately? And so the idea of this podcast is to capture that same spirit of discovery. Spontaneity. Like, in terms of the spirit of discovery, we are practically Christopher Columbus. You are. Yeah, you're more like a James Cook. <laughs> I'm not either of those guys. <laughs> Leave me alone. Uh, no, I'm more like uh, Matthew Broderick in that movie where he was uh, hacking into the Pentagon. War Games. War Games. God, that's a good movie. It was like that or Ferris Bueller. <laughs> well, they're both very good movies. Mm. Shame he was a monster in real life. Um I don't think he was a monster. He just made some bad decisions one night. That's true. That's true. That's true. Is this the ongoing theme of the podcast? <laughs> Should we be doing a true, a true crime podcast about the fateful night of Matthew Broderick driving that we, car? We, I do bring it up a lot, I know. But it's just because like, it, was, it was shocking when I found out. Ferris sure. Bueller was the, the greatest film ever made. He's always struck me as a lovely man. I'm sure he is. I'm sure mm. he is. Except for that one night. Chris Yates... TV. Yes. What have you been watching? I've been watching some TV, Dan. Don't you worry about that. Well, tell me about some of them. Well, Dan, I have been watching some television. I've been watching a uh, subscription service called Netflix. I'm sure you've heard of it. Netflix? Yeah, with a with an X. With an X? <laughs> okay. Uh, I watched the... Um... So, this isn't pornographic, is it? <laughs> no, it's definitely not. Uh, I, I, well, kind of. I watched the uh, new Netflix stand-up comedy special by a British comedian, Simon Amstel, called Set Free. Now, as a huge fan of the maybe two to three seasons he did, or never mind the Buzzcocks, I've been a huge fan of Simon Amstel. What a talent. Um, this is, that's basically the only thing I know him from. So, um, back in the day when that was actually, like when it was on TV, it was quite a bit of a um, fun thing to do for me and a, a small group of our friends to drink heavily and watch Simon Amstel tear ruthlessly into the celebrity guests, the um, people off the street, everyone, basically. His wit was razor sharp. He was very young when he was doing that, from what I recall. Yeah, very early 20s, I think. Yeah, and just like, he was brought into that show, um, I think, as a pretty much an unknown. Obviously, the producers had seen his stuff and knew what he was about. But I don't think anyone expected him to be quite the phenomenon that he was on that show. He was amazing. Um, it's awful watching back now some of that stuff because, like, you know, watching him tear into Amy Winehouse for being a drunk is, oh. is heartbreaking kind of stuff. Now. Yeah, I remember that. There's, like, so much good stuff. But he was just absolutely... It was absolutely brutal. He had this incredible put-down style. He had a, a wit that was just so sharp. And it wasn't... You could... You know, it wasn't just the scripted stuff that was coming out, which he wrote a lot of himself anyway. It was that the banter, the interplay. And I don't think Buzzcocks ever recovered, really, from his departure. They certainly never found another long-term host that was anywhere near as good. No, and for a while, it was like a different host I think every it's, week. Yeah, and, and just yeah. sort of like, you just you just couldn't do it. You can't come up to it. 
I still, I haven't looked it up. I have no idea what he's done in between there and this special. Um, but it seems like, uh, it seems like not a whole lot would be the, the correct way of saying it. He's been a stand up comedian and he's been trying to find his way, I think, in that sort of thing. Have you you haven't seen it then? I haven't no. seen it. I've been meaning to press play on it. Excellent. Well, I think it's you know it's this very uh, modern style of stand up comedy where it's. Um, but I think that he has been doing this for a long time, where it's very much self reflection. It's um, you know a, it's a therapeutic exercise in him talking about his relationship with his father, a lot of that stuff, which is which I just find which I love. Um, uh, my partner that I watched it with, not so much maybe, but um, oh, another man with daddy issues. Oh, yes, this is exciting to see. Um, he talks about his relationships a lot. He talks about, you know, his um, the challenges that he faced as a young gay man growing up in, a, uh, <laughs> in the mean streets of, like, some terrible, uh, tiny little suburban uh, <laughs> you know, English town. He obviously didn't have too bad a life. Um, but it's just, it's it's... Very, very funny. I was, you know, his, uh, it was so interesting watching him turn that kind of razor wit on himself and in a very self-deprecating way, but also one that is kind of trying to figure out his place in the universe, I guess. The, um, the self-reflection and the therapeutic aspects of it never kind of get in the way of the jokes, however, which is something that I find happens a lot in this kind of stuff. So that was really um, relieving. And it's like an hour long. It just flew. It whizzed by as, you know, um, very few hour-long stand-up comedy specials do for me. I tend to drone out sometime around the 20-minute mark. So, yes, very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, just as a tangent sort of thing, I've been watching a lot of... There was a show that John Oliver did for Comedy Central a few years ago called, like, John Oliver's stand-up comedy, something or other. Yep. And it's an hour-long thing where John Oliver comes out and introduces about, like, four or five stand-ups throughout the hour. Oh, and yeah, yeah, come yeah. come out and do a few sets. And, yeah, because they whiz by and they're doing maybe, like, five-minute blocks each. Yeah, yeah. And so that's very watchable. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's right. You start getting up into the hour, it's got to be something really good. He actually talks about a lot about how he tried to... Oh, you know, he talks about how he felt like he had to have success in America. He talks about how he, you know, the, the meaningless of life a lot. Really interestingly, he talks a lot about his, um, you know, he's done a lot of traveling the world to see different spiritual gurus and to have these kind of psychic, like often psychedelic drug experiences to open up different sides of his self. He talks about, um, you know, curing himself of various mental ailments with various different illegal drugs at some points. He has a great, does a great rant about um, having MDMA for the first time as a 30-something and um, (laughs) having this awful realisation that, like, the government keeps that away from you, stops you from being happy. It will give you as much booze and cigarettes as you want to kill yourself, but if they've discovered this magical potion that makes you happy, but you're not allowed to have that one. Um, excellent insights, excellent, very funny. Haven't got much more to add than that, Dan, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's always hard to review a stand-up comedy special. Well, it is, and especially when it's not something that's like uh, doing something different for the sake of it or for the novelty of it. Like, it's, I'm, 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 I guess I wanted to talk about it a little bit because I am really, there's this really interesting space kind of opened up where I think we're going to move. It's, it it's, seems like we're moving further and further away from the comedy aspect of stand-up comedy and into this just sort of more storytelling space, which is something I find really interesting. Like, people are obviously really into um, podcasts or about people's lives or about, you know, not, you know, 
a lot of it's about crime and stuff, I guess. But a lot of storytelling happening in those ways that isn't necessarily, um, it's not visual, it's not based on humour and it's not that kind of stuff. And I'm seeing that pop up a lot more in these sort of stand-up comedy, of course, than in that special being a um, the Hannah Gadsby thing, being the, the kind of the flagpole for that as a new kind of way of telling your story on stage and using the uh, traditional format of stand-up comedy to maybe tell a story that's a little bit different. So I found it very, yeah, I found it very interesting from that point of view because I think it's somebody that I've always wanted to know more about and always been curious about what happened to him after um, that successful run on the Buzzcocks. You you couldn't load up a Wikipedia article? (laughs) Well, I'm not not that interested. Um, (laughs) But, you know, like, well, uh, well, that's a very good good point because obviously seeing this hour-long sort of internal um, discussion is so much more enlightening than anything that could have been written about him or just sort of learning about him would have been. So, yeah, it's fantastic. Highly recommended. Uh, It's called Set Free and it's um, by Simon Amstel and it's on Netflix. Oh, you're gesturing me to ask you. (laughs) Now I have to pretend I care what you've been watching, Dan. Uh, Oh, God. Such a chore. Dan, can you tell me about something cool you've watched this week? In the spirit of talking about stand-up comedy, Uh, I thought I'd talk to you about one of the greats. Mm. Uh, Do you remember a fantastic stand-up comedian named The Amazing Jonathan? Of course I remember The Amazing Jonathan. Well, would you be excited to find out about The Amazing Jonathan documentary? Yes, I would. So back in 2014, The Amazing Jonathan was told he's got a year to live. Oh, this isn't going where, where I thought it was. No, it's not. 2019, he's still around. Ah. Okay, he's kind of defied the odds. Now, he'd been told that he's got a year to live, and so he sort of came to terms with it and then just found that, you know, I'm still going. So he now he's regularly performing around the place, but suddenly there's a spark in him that doesn't really seem to quite be present. Right. Okay, now I don't know what he's like on stage, and obviously I don't really know him like as a... You haven't Pre- had- as a present, like as a real life person. Yes, like, yes. You haven't ever had a like, coffee with him. Yeah, may- maybe he never had a spark in him, like in his real life, and it's just on stage that he seemed a little bit magnetic. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I haven't seen his like stage performance for a while, so you know. <laughs> also, I talked about him being one of the greats, like you know. Anyway, maybe it was only when he was in the context of the rest of the Hey Hey It's Saturday crew, uh, as as was my introduction and to the amazing Jonathan. That oh, he definitely, seemed to sparkle, and definitely so. my only experience with him as well. <laughs> so where he seemed to sparkle, so you know, like a diamond in that um, sea of uh, less than diamond-like performances. Okay, so this dude Benjamin Berman, he decides he's going to do this documentary about the amazing Jonathan finding out that you know. He's found out that he's dying, so he's like, well, I'm going to approach the Amazing Jonathan and do this documentary. So he starts with Nostocco, and then maybe about like six months into it, this other documentary crew turn up. Right. And this is okay. a And he's like, yeah. other documentary crew, they want to do something on me. These other documentarians, they are working for the same guy that made Searching for Sugar Man and uh, Man oh, on Wire. Oh, right. Okay, so, you know, if they want to make a documentary about me as well, I'd be very excited for this to happen. So, Benjamin Berman's stuck with the fact that he's making a documentary that if the guy who made, like, those amazing documentaries is making the stocko, like, where does his documentary sit in this? Yes. So, he's doing this, and, like, he's continuing to make his documentary and then suddenly a third documentarian <laughs> turns up on the scene who's been making a documentary about him for longer than these two documentaries have been <laughs> so it's like there's three documentaries what? being made at one point in it you find out about a fourth documentary no no but- just tell you this <laughs> that, that ended up being sort of like a three-month project and then just kind of if, went if, away. if i had three documentary crews rock up to my door i'd be really worried about what they uncovered about me <laughs> and what where this was gonna head 
Okay, well, interesting you say that. I'm thinking about the many dark, like, skeletons in your closet. <laughs> and man, that gets dark. There's one point that you find out that Jonathan actually smokes a large amount of meth. Ah, yes. That's not exactly surprising at this point. Benjamin Berman, in an effort to try to ingratiate himself with Jonathan, of whom is more or less derailed um, his documentary efforts, <laughs> okay, is he's talking to him and he said, you know what? I'll smoke some meth with you. Awesome. So there's a few scenes with this guy, Benjamin, on the phone to, uh, uh, like, legal services, finding out whether he can smoke meth on <laughs> thing. And also, he's, like, trying to work out, should I smoke meth? Like, just in general. Yeah. But, like, he feels so despondent that he's invested all this time in this documentary, and he feels that this is, like, the way to really get Jonathan on board. So you've watched this scene with the two of them smoking meth together. That's amazing. So is, is um, Jonathan still smoking meth? I believe so. Maybe that is the uh, unofficial cure for cardiomyopathy. That very well may be. Which is what Jonathan has. I just Googled it. So what's fascinating about this documentary is it starts being... What's in- not fascinating about it at this point? Well, wait for this. So what, it, like, what I found really fascinating is it stopped being about this you know, man who's given a year to live and is defying the odds and continuing going. Because I thought about what that story is and like, that's kind of the entire story. We're not really going to get any sort of great insights into human yeah, condition. Yeah, yeah, sure. But instead, what it becomes about is when you've got filmmakers of whom decide they want to, like, leech off someone who's going through a terrible yeah, life yeah. situation. Okay, and then in this instance, you've got three filmmakers of whom are all, like, pouncing on this one subject. And the documentary really explores the fact that there are just too many documentaries out in the world these days. <laughs> and they've got all these filmmakers who are just like parasites just jumping onto every possible opportunity. I love that idea. And so this is Benjamin Berman like interrogating himself and his motivations for wanting to get involved in this documentary about how his relationship with Jonathan has changed as a result of him acknowledging him to himself that he's really just leeching off um, Jonathan's misfortune. Like it's a really interesting self, uh, like self-reflective, just interesting discussion about yeah, what totally. it actually means to be a documentary filmmaker. Well, I'm just getting over his career here on my um, phone. Benjamin uh, Berman or Jonathan? No, Jonathan. Because just because I was like, well, why are there all these people? But you're right; they they're basically bottom feeders trying to. Uh... Oh my god, there's some good stuff in here though. His only credited performance as an actor was the obligatory holiday episode of the Weird Al Show. Playing the part of Uncle Jonathan. Have you ever seen the Weird Al show? I have seen the Weird Al show. Is it is it as good as the movie? Uh, look, you know, which you haven't seen. I saw the first fifteen minutes of it, and um, then I could do no more. There's a great, uh, and then I was like, oh, maybe you know, maybe he was heaps more famous than I thought. Until I get to the paragraph that says Jonathan had huge success in Australia, becoming a household name due to his many well received performances on Hey Hey It's Saturday. And there's even a clip of Daryl and Ozzy in the <laughs> in the doco. In the doco. Really? Oh my god. Uh, yeah, well, that's a really... I love the idea of a documentary about the fact that there's way too many documentaries. Can we make a podcast about all the podcasts? <laughs> oh, look, we don't have that much time in the day. We're first on the chopping block when that comes anyway. So he's told that the guy who had produced Man on a Wire and Searching for Sugar Man was responsible for this other crew. There's one scene where Benjamin Berman flies to the UK to interview the producer, Simon Chin, and he said, do you know anything about these other guys? Okay, and he's like, they are not associated with me at all. Wow. Okay, so they've misrepresented themselves to Jonathan, possibly, or, like, Berman can't really work out what's going on. But as he's doing this, he's, like, talking to this guy, Simon uh, Chin, at the very point where he's really just questioning what it is that he's done to Jonathan. He feels, like, guilty about the fact that he's been sort of leeching off his misfortune. 
So he ends up asking Simon Chen, look, uh, Jonathan's very excited about the fact that a documentary is being made with your name attached to it. Like, it gives a huge amount of credibility to this documentary. You're obviously not making this documentary. Will you sign on board to my documentary, okay, just to give that to him? Okay, and Simon Chen sort of sits back and strokes his chin for a little bit, but uh, <laughs> it cuts away and you find out that he agreed to it. Wow. Okay, which is kind of nice. Uh, you also find out later on that the reason why Jonathan thought that he was associated with them is that apparently Chin's business partner in LA had lent out a bunch of equipment to the other documentary crew. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, so that's how that all came about. But yeah, so there's a whole bunch of amazing Jonathan documentaries on their way to you soon. Are they all going to come out, do you think? Uh, at least two of them. Oh, wow, I'm looking up um, Benjamin Berman, and he actually has an excellent... Well, this is the other thing I was going to mention to you, which is that throughout the series, uh, throughout the documentaries, a couple of Vox Pops, and included in there is Eric Andre, yeah, yeah, and a whole wow. bunch of sort of good, notable comedians. He directed episodes of Lady Dynamite, which was an awesome show. Yeah. Um, did you watch that? Did no, but I that? do want to say that Eric Andre is the only person who agreed that he should smoke the meth. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, God. How can I love him even more than I already do? He did some Man Seeking Woman episodes, uh, which is starring the aforementioned Eric Andre. Mm-hmm. He did some Workaholics episodes, the third greatest television show of all time, um, and a bunch of... Uh, John Benjamin and Eric and Tim and Eric stuff. Yeah, now it's the Tim and Eric stuff that's kind of interesting. Yeah, see this because when you like... when you watch the documentary, part of it. So Jonathan's obviously a magician. Okay, so sleight of yes, hands yes, a very yes. big that's thing. That's right. I forgot about there's that. Lots play, of there's things. lots of playing around with like realities. A good friend of Chris Angel, it says in the uh, yeah, Wikipedia. and Chris Angel appears in the doco. Excellent. So Berman starts interrogating that idea that what if he's being played by the amazing Jonathan. Ah. And these other documentarians aren't even really producing <laughs> oh documentaries, God. but maybe some sort of a test or some sort of game that he's playing with him. But then he works out that, no, no, they are legitimate documentaries that are being made and wow. sort of has to work through that. And as a viewer, you start to question the idea of, is any of this legitimate or is this actually a fake documentary? Well, because we've seen heaps of that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, so like the most famous one is Orson Welles made one called F is for Fake. Yeah, right. Okay, which uh, Berman admits that like he's a big fan of that documentary, but insists that it's not actually like an inspiration for this like it's legitimate I would say the best one was um, and it, it feels legitimate to me as well yeah yeah uh, I would say the biggest one is uh, Spinal Tap but no that's I'm, I'm that's a mockumentary that's a mockumentary of course uh, there's still the jury's still out on Exit Through the Gift Shop I think about what the hell actually happened in that movie yeah, which I've never seen it's very good mm. <clears throat> um yeah, excellent. I'm, I, once again, Dan, you have totally opened m- my eyes to something that I know I will enjoy. And yeah. I, f- I feel like you're pandering to me a little bit too much. What about the people out there in the radio land? Look, I just watch what I want to watch. Excellent. But anyway, uh, the Amazing Jonathan documentary you can find in the US on Hulu. Uh, it played in Australia at Myth a couple oh, wow. of weeks ago. And I'm not too sure Is what it coming the deal for is. Suff? Uh, I don't think it's playing itself. Mm, we'll have to try and do but, yeah. some research on that. Yes. We'll uh, post yeah, it so on I haven't there. heard of any other screenings or Ooh. like local broadcasts or anything for it yet. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Uh, would love to see it. But yeah, Sounds it's fantastic. definitely good. So if you come across it, give it a look. Chris? <laughs> how, do, how come we forget every time that that's how the next part of the show goes? It's really... It's been a very it's, long it's day. Got, it's literally go. we do one thing. There's one concept. Uh, no, sorry. Yes. Chris, yes. What the hell have you been watching? I have watched this movie, Dan. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's going to bl- hey? blow your mind that I've watched a movie that's exactly 20 years old. 
Um, so it's from 1999? It is from 1999. Is it it's, election? It's not election. Keep guessing. Fight Club. No. Titanic. No, that's 97. <laughs> uh, 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 You're in the right ballpark. What was Titanic? No. Titanic 2. <laughs> I have watched for the first time in my life The Matrix. Oh, really? Okay, where did you watch it? Like at home or did I you watched go to the it movies? At home on Netflix. It's on Netflix at the moment. I started to watch a very old ripper that I had, and then I was like, hmm, this might even be available in some format where I can actually see what's going on in the page. Now, I noticed that for the next two days at uh, Cinema in George Street in Sydney, which has Australia's best 40X cinema. Oh, really? It's playing The Matrix, and I was really tempted to see that, but I don't know if it's playing next week. Oh, look, if. if- I won't have time to see it, like. Because I've got a job, so I can't yeah. go during the daytime. <laughs> yeah, that's right. People with jobs. Jeez, yeah. uh, it's good. I wish what, someone had a... Why didn't people make more of a big deal about this film at the time? I feel like it just came out and was swept yeah. under the rug. Nobody noticed it. Under the radar movie. There's never been any discussion about it. Uh, I think... I was trying to work out why I wouldn't have watched it. I think it came out at a time where I was particularly cynical of uh, mainstream film and all that kind of stuff. And so I was just like, nah. If, Look if at people you, tell me they Mr. like it... Cool. Yeah, yeah. Someone tells me they like it, I'm not going to watch it. Obviously, it's impossible to have not picked up a lot of the um, memes from the. I'm just going to call them memes, really, from the um, from the film. There's so many, like you know, very famous scenes. There's, even recently, we've got the red pill, blue pill stuff being uh, you know co opted for um, the incel movement. Um, Did I tell you I tried watching the red pill documentary? <laughs> no, I, I got about five minutes in. I I cannot do this. <laughs> even your even the contrarian and you couldn't couldn't let it happen. Couldn't do it. Um, anyway, the Matrix is fantastic. I I love that. Uh, obviously, it was at this beautiful period of cinema where it wasn't quite where the uh, you know computer animation was being used to uh, augment uh, practical effects. Done in such a beautiful way, the actual filmmaking is outstanding. Like you know, it's peak Keanu, obviously, uh, who we've finally come around many years later. Sorry, what? Well, <laughs> obviously, peak, when I say peak, peak Keanu, Keanu was in 1993. Yeah, yeah. Okay. When I say peak Keanu, I don't mean the greatest thing Keanu's ever done. I mean, maybe point like break. the most Keanu Keanu. Or is that Point Break? This is probably not... Oh, no, yeah, like anyway. The, the most Keanu Keanu is Point Break. Point Break. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Point taken. It, it is a pure performance. <laughs> This is this is maybe oh, anyway. It's he's so good in it. R- really, really, this movie would be uh, Blade Runner, except it's not. And and I think it's only been let down by. I mean, you know, the, the uh, soundtrack is just appallingly bad into by today's standards. <laughs> and um, you know, there's some there's some cool industrial metal and all that kind of stuff in it. But the actual, uh, you know, it's, it's all very much trying to be a futuristic and of its time. Which uh, the music of that everyone thought we would be listening to in the future was, of course, rap metal and that kind of stuff. So um, it's really hard to take some of the scenes seriously where there's action and you're getting this kind of like pseudo fat boy slim stuff with like horrible guitars on it. But that's, I mean, it's probably just, you know, that's something that someone of my... uh, that's probably something that's not going to annoy anyone as anywhere near as much as it does me. And I was still able to block it out in a way that just this, the, the film itself just shines through. The incorporation, you know, we've been talking a little bit lately and I've been getting into the sort of um, Shaw Brothers martial arts kind of films. Mm. Was that the kind of first use of that in modern was that was that was that a, was that unusual at the time for them to use the wires and they used all that kind of stuff? Was that happening at the time, or was that something that they kind of brought back into cinema? Because I felt like I, I was trying to think about it, and I just can't really remember. You know, I remember there there being other you know there were being other films, and there being especially you know specific stuff like um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and uh, that kind of thing who were doing that too. But to see it sort of pulled into this American futuristic 
uh, action film. I, I kind of, even though I remembered some of the way that it played out, I didn't remember, you know, like they really, they really play on that. That's kind of how all the fight scenes happen and stuff. So it was kind of this really awesome juxtaposition of, you know, sci-fi films, which are usually chases and cars and lasers and, or, you know, spaceships and guns and stuff to see that, you know, Kung Fu being brought into that is so cool. I can't believe how cool The Matrix is. What an idiot. What an idiot I've been these last 20 years. Where have you been? <laughs> you know what you're really going to love? The next two installments of the series. <laughs> well, what's your take? Because I've asked a bunch of people since I watched it the other day, and um, uh, some people have gone, they're even better than the first one. And But um, but, but that wasn't the no. overall well, sense. That's just blatantly not true. Yeah, but they're, but they're still of a decent standard. Is this Look, true? I'm tempted, because I've been thinking I want to go back and rewatch The Matrix, because I don't think I've really watched it for like 15 years. Look, and, and that's what's, I mean, you know, I might, I might have seen it even, but I just did not remember this. You know, the, the, the sort of famous stuff of it makes it feel like you only just watched it 10 minutes ago. But when you actually watch how they pace out this film, how it all falls, how it's all played out, it's incredible. It's really, really good. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so the sequels, I guess, obviously the, the concept is in the concept. So, like, the film is in the concept of it. And I can't see how that's going to pan out so well over two yeah, so sequels. What, what was fascinating, I guess, what was kind of revolutionary about The Matrix, technology aside, was the way that the Wachowski brothers at the time, but obviously they both uh, transitioned since then, uh, but the Wachowski siblings... Uh, they had created a world that was very much based on their love of anime. It was based on their love of kung fu movies. Yeah. It was just taking a lot of things that was seen as very sort of nerd, chic sort of things. Yeah, 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 explore. right. Like film geeks sort of love this sort of thing. Like the idea of using yeah. like Akira as a bit of a foundational yeah, base yeah, for your yeah. film was something that wasn't really happening. Okay, but it was because of films like The Matrix, which kind of show that, that there is a actually, Western appetite for this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And they can actually revel in like these sort of nerdy, like... Um, uh, what do you want to say? Like uh, these little absor- niche absorbing sort of cultural elements, yeah, like that yeah, and yeah, reworking it into which to the to the extent that like the way films and stuff have changed so, or or have drawn on that so heavily over the last twenty years that it's like that is not even something that you notice about it, sort of thing. Well, yeah, you know that's not what the but it's not what stands out. About no, it. definitely not. But, but I can see was, at the time it would have. Yeah, it was yeah. an incredibly fresh thing. So you've got that going on. Now, I remember when I first saw The Matrix and I was a, you know, very cool 19-year-old. <laughs> I could just imagine. The thing that kind of frustrated me when I was watching it is that it didn't really feel that fresh to me. Yeah, right. Okay, and the way that a lot of viewers, I, I think most viewers sort of saw it as this really fresh thing. Okay, or people were very familiar with the source of inspiration that it came from. Yeah. And I'd say I was probably neither of those camps. Yeah, right. I don't think I really knew a lot of the very specific things that it was drawing from. But at the same time, it also seems to be playing with themes and ideas, like that idea of a world layered upon another one. Yeah. Which wasn't really that different to like comic books I'd read in the past. And it was just kind of, it just sort of seemed kind of obvious and didn't really break my mind that much. Yeah, yeah. So I enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. But I wasn't like gaga for it. Yeah. And that's another thing too. Like, I guess it's much easier to watch it and appreciate it for its actual filmmaking these days because of Black Mirror, because of everything, you know, because it's a big part of like mainstream cinema as well as like even, you know, the Avengers movies and stuff get into some pretty uh, complicated kind of science fiction, parallel Mm. universe kind of stuff. So, and Rick and Morty, and you know, Rick and Morty is actually arguably a lot more kind of complex uh, science fiction um, ideas getting tackled in that than, than what is in The Matrix. But yeah, to actually, when you strip all that stuff away and you're able to just sort of watch it as this like action movie, basically, it's fantastic. 
Now, you'll find with the second one, I think the ideas get more interesting. Yeah, right. Okay, because I won't ruin it for you. No, but, don't. You know, I, they, yeah. they explore the idea of what they were playing with the first one. And yeah, really yeah. just like go completely in on it. Yeah, yeah. However, there's lots of long talking sequences. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. One very specifically. Right. And I think <clears> that... Put a lot of people off. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm definitely. I'm definitely admit, I don't it. even really remember the third one at all. Yeah, and did they come out at the same time, or they were just made at the same? time? I think time? they were made at the same time right. and came out like maybe six months. Yeah, or a year really or recently, or right? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. And so, is there a new Matrix film? Is that what's happening? That's what's been announced. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, yeah. I think Lana is coming back. Yes, I'm, one of the Wachowskis only, right? Yeah, the other one. I don't think a sister into movies anymore. It's such a cool. Uh, it's I, I, I mean, I'm totally... sure the sister's on as a producer or something. It'll probably have like input, but I can't imagine. I think like I can totally see why it's the right time to do it too. You know, like it's sort of the idea. I mean, and it's basically all around AI, which was at the time you know people were talking about as this very futuristic concept. And there's the Spielberg movie as well that would have been similar time to that. Whereas you know the stuff that was kind of being talked about at the end of the '90s. Um, when you know we were just sort of starting to get the internet and all that kind of stuff, to see how far that's come in twenty years, and to see the sort of, um, to see us living and uh, dealing with AI on a daily basis, and to sort of it's it's not very hard to kind of to to imagine the um, the, the the future of 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 how that could go. So it's just I, I can see how it's the right time to do it for sure. Yeah, now I'm going to give you some homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, before you watch the next two Matrix films... Oh, yep, I'm getting my pen out. First of all, watch The Animatrix, which was a really cool thing that they did as... more. It was kind of more or less promotion for The Matrix Revolutions. Oh, was wow. that the second film? Yeah. Was that the third film? No, yes, that's the third one. Uh, what's the second one called? The Reloaded. Matrix. Reloaded, of course it is. <laughs> uh, Matrix Reloaded was kind of a promo for it. And it was a feature-length series of shorts that were done by a whole bunch of respected anime... Oh, wow. Um, ...like, creators. And it was, like, just animated films taking place within the Matrix universe. Like, with Neo and stuff in it? Yeah. Wow. And I think it's, like, every, like, short on it's probably, like, six to ten minutes or something. Oh, my God, that sounds awesome. Yeah. That's great. And so there's a bunch of them that runs out to feature-length. Wow. But, yeah, like, not all of them are gold, but... You know, it's oh, fun. I'm in. I'm on board for the Matrix yeah. ride now. So watch that. And also, if you just want to see some Wachowski goodness. Yeah, yeah. The film they made beforehand, it was this thing called Bound. I, I almost want to call it like an erotic thriller. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. I You've have seen, seen it? it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's I just do remember a really that. cool film that I don't think enough people really go back and watch it I anymore. had no idea it was made by them. Like, film nerds know the film. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Awesome. Mm, it's very good. There you go. So, yes, Bound 1996. Um... Starring Jennifer Tilly. Yes. Goodness gracious. And it was based off the strength of that. that they oh, were given I'm the blushing money. just looking at the poster. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, and that's how they go. Wow. Fantastic stuff anyway. I re- highly recommend everybody check out this this little film called The Matrix. Fantastic. Uh, well, on Netflix, coincidentally. Also with an X. Um, I think there's still time for you to talk about one of the things you've been watching, Dan. What have you been watching? Chris, I've been watching the Northern Ireland comedy Dairy Girls. This has been recommended to me by many people, but I haven't watched it yet. You are wasting your time, Chris. <laughs> Derry Girls is absolutely one of the most funny, charming shows that I've seen, maybe ever. Yeah, I'm completely right. gaga for this program. Wow. So Derry Girls, it is written by this lady named Lisa McGee, and she has taken upon her own personal history as someone who grew up in Northern Ireland during the time of 
you know, the occupation, the yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of coming about. And so she's created the series. It first starts out in, I want to say it's maybe like 92. And so you've got like all this sort of great music of the time. Okay, particularly a lot of like Irish stuff. The cranberries. So the cranberries are definitely in there. <laughs> but you've like this amazing music coming bit through. Bit of U two. Uh, they talk about U two a bit. I Probably too much to license. I'd imagine so. Uh, you can find like the Dairy Girls uh, soundtrack on Spotify, which gets added to quite a fair bit. And there's a bunch of stonking good music in there, Chris. <laughs> Uh, but essentially, the series is about these four girls who are growing up in Northern Ireland, and then as they're returning to school after like a holiday break, uh, one of the girls comes along with her uh, cousin who's been in London, and so he's a boy, but they all go to a private girls' school, like a Catholic girls' school. So anyway, this boy's been given permission to go to school with them, okay, and they just treat him like complete garbage. <laughs> yeah. Like they all have such an attitude about how much better they are than him. It seems hilarious. Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's very good. Uh, but each of these like girls in it have not only great comic timing in terms of they know just how to deliver a line, but also they've just got like great sort of facial expressions that all fully form characters from the first episode through. Like it is just impressive how strong this series is from episode one. I watched both seasons of it in the last couple of days because I'd seen all of season one, but I hadn't watched season two yet. But I watched season two and I actually got like emotional at the end of it because I was so drawn into their world. And what's great over the course of the first two seasons is it's at that time where Ireland was freed. So you actually see like the story through the eyes of these girls who don't care care at all about any of the political stuff that's happening around them. Really, they just care about the like infighting they're having with other girls at school or there's that cool teacher that they just want to hang out with. Like it's standard sort of teen comedy type stuff. But you got in the background just like all this interesting political stuff happening and these girls just coping with life just day to day while tanks are going past. It's such a great conceit for a TV yeah, show. Yeah. And the thing that I didn't realise until I was watching like maybe like the last sort of two or three episodes of season two was that effectively what the show is, is it's just the Gilmore Girls, like all the weird quirky <laughs> antics of the township, okay, but just in Northern Ireland. Well, you could have just started with that and I would have known how much you liked it. Um, well, this is it, that but I only realised yeah. after I loved it. <laughs> Why do I love this so much? Oh, that's right. It reminds me of the Gilmore Girls. Yeah. But no, check it out. Excellent. No, I definitely will. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realise it was... More specifically, it reminds me of Bunheads, but that might be too deep a dive. Yeah, just give us a break. Um, the uh, I, I didn't realise it was a comedy. Like, there you go. Straight yeah, up. It, heaps of people have told me to watch it, but I, stu- I still assumed that it would be... It was a much more historical kind of... I realised that it had a little thing to it, but... Um, it yeah. is gut-bustingly funny. Yeah, wow. I'm really surprised to hear that. That's yeah. awesome. I'm definitely going to watch it because, you know, something about me, Dan, I like to laugh. And boy, do you like the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> But yeah. no, like the Gilmore Girls I draw upon as just a reference point in saying, because the Gilmore Girls is written to a very sort of over-stylized manner. This is very raw in terms yeah, of the yeah, way it yeah. delivers comedy. Lines are delivered with great sort of sophistication in their simple, uh, simplicity, but it, it's not sort of overly stylized, but just something about the attitudes of the town around these girls yes, and I know the way that everyone's about. engaging. It's, it just feels very Gilmore. You've talked to me a lot, a lot about how much... Um, you like the Gilmore Girls and why you like the Gilmore Girls. And I've listened a lot. Um, You'll never understand the greatness of Al's pancake world, Chris. But a lot of people, uh, you know, won't understand that reference because they think of it as a very specific thing. But I do know what you're talking about as far as the um, the sort of the town being a character almost in itself or the, mm. the people in there being drawn on for the um, humour as well. So that's very interesting. Yeah. Once again, Dan, you've just uh, impressed me with both your knowledge of 
the show and also tailoring stuff to what I would like to watch. <laughs> that's what all I'm all about. <laughs> well, and that's a big part of recommendations, isn't it? When you're giving recommendations to somebody. Indeed. Chris Yates. Yes. Do you have anything left? Uh, you know, I just did what I wanted to do a little bit of this thing. I, 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 you can feel free to cut this down later. Um, and I'm sure I will. <laughs> uh, one of the things we talked about a little bit uh, that I found interesting was that, um, y- you know, there's this thing with repeatability and re- rewatchability of shows. Now, there's a couple of shows that I've talked about really briefly after just watching the first episode. One of them I wanted to touch on again very briefly. Um, uh, it's Time with Alan Partridge uh, is now available to watch on the ABC iView app. The whole yes. series is on there, um, which it wasn't when I first talked about it. So that's an amazing opportunity to get in to do that. Uh, I was chatting to a very good friend of mine um, who who we'll call John Dominance, um, who <laughs> was probably the person that originally got me, if not got me onto Partridge. You know, we have been on a massive journey with of Alan Partridge um, with a small group of us, uh, him and the band that he's in especially. Um and I have spent many, many countless hours um, uh, t- discussing the merits and retelling the jokes from the previous Alan Partridge. And I was talking to him about it, and I sort of said, like, you know, I've watched it once. I laughed a lot. I f- really feel like I need to watch it again. And he's like, oh, my God, you absolutely have to watch it again. And he was on, like, his third viewing of some of the, some of the episodes. And it is insane how much funnier it gets the, the second time through. Like, there's so much about watching it the first time. There's the cringe. There's all this other terrible stuff that happens. Um you just well, kind of part, you're finding your way into the world. Yeah, 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 right. Like so, it's washing over you. You're learning about the characters. You've got some familiar ones in there, which is amazing. But it, yeah, there's something about the second, the third viewing of it where it starts to really, really come alive. Right. Um, I think it's because that's where you start seeing the craft. I think I think you're exactly right. And the and the um, you know, obviously that doesn't work with all kinds of television, but with some stuff, it really, really works. And he, in particular, he said there's the uh, I think it's the fourth episode. Which is the um, or it's the Me Too episode anyway, which is Alan addressing the Me Too issue, um, which <laughs> with great sensitivity, with, which he just e- expressed as probably peak, like as as good as Alan Partridge has ever been. And as I watched it again for the third time with that in the back of my head, I was just like, oh my god, it's so true. Gut gut laughed the way, the whole way through it. So I'm rewatching that again. And the other thing I wanted to just re- quickly say is, in the time since I've seen you last, I've watched. Uh, every episode of series 30 of The Simpsons. I wanted to do it. I felt like it had to be done. Chris, why? <laughs> and, um, but it got me thinking that same sort of thing, you know. So there was a couple of really good episodes, and I uh, and I say a couple. There was maybe there was a few that I really did laugh through. Like I'm not, you know, they they've got they've got good talent. There's been some excellent um, guests in this season. Like you know, they're obviously always drawing on good guests. But you've had like Billy Eichner, um, John Lovitz has been a recurring character. He seems to be taking a bit more of a Phil Hartman kind of style role, where he's doing a few of his famous past characters, like Llewellyn the. Um, the theatre director, who's very, very... He's in actually, I think, maybe two or three episodes. He's also doing a bunch of, like, rando just voices and stuff, which gives it a really nice kind of thread. But I sort of thought, like, it's... And then someone said, oh, can you make me a list of just the good ones to watch? And then I read back over the synopses, and I couldn't identify any of the ones that were, had really made me laugh from the story, you know, because the story's not necessarily where the laughs come from. So, before we come back next week, <laughs> I will try and watch the... 30 episodes. I'm going to try and watch the 30, the, the, the 22 episodes of series 30 again, make some notes, see if those episodes get funnier as they come through. I feel like it's a bit of a personal challenge to myself. I also feel like uh, it's something that I really want to do. I'm really, in, I'm really trying to um, contextualize what the place of The Simpsons is in my modern world and how 
I don't know. I'm, 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 it's, it's becoming almost academic for me, and I'm enjoying that aspect of it. Now, just on the subject of The Simpsons, we probably haven't discussed this because like, it must have been over a month ago that we talked about The Simpsons. Mm. Yeah, when yeah. you're doing that. Voice actor Rusty Taylor passed away. Now, she is known publicly as the voice of Minnie Mouse. Like, she was the official voice oh, of Minnie Mouse. yes. What was kind of interesting there is that her part, like, her husband, was the official voice of Mickey Mouse. I know. That's a, such a beautiful such story. Such a lovely aspect. Yeah. But, uh, but she also voiced a few Simpsons characters. Yes. Amongst them being the two twin girls. Yes. And also, uh, Martin Prince. Yes. Now, the thing with The Simpsons is that usually when the voice actors uh, pass away, they retire all those characters, at least in terms of their voices. You might see them in the background of scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you never actually see them, like, interact with them, like, generally the same way again. Uh, You've got a few incidents where you've got characters like Lunch Lady Doris. So when the actress who played Lunch Lady Doris passed away, her name was Doris Grau. Uh, she, the character got retired. Yeah. They have brought her back since then with Tress McNeil doing the voice. Yes. So there is precedent for them bringing that back. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see if they get rid of Martin Prince. Yeah, because he's kind of a, he's, he's almost an integral character as yeah. far as they He's go. foundational. He's foundational and he's often used as a counterpoint to a lot of, uh, he's been used as a counterpoint for a lot of plots and, you know, yeah. he's been in, in the crew and some very, um, you know, he's been in the the, the core group of um, kids getting up to trouble quite a few yeah. times. I actually think it's healthy for the show, though, to have to push its push itself a little bit more to come up with new characters and not just rely on the same. Yeah, like I've enjoyed, I really enjoyed seeing Llewellyn come back again. Like that was a really cool thing. There's not many, you know, I feel they've minded over the last twenty years. They kind of dug out all the um, one-offs and two-off characters that were kind of like, you know fan favourites or whatever. Well, maybe they could do some new things. <laughs> so it'd be nice to see them do some more new things. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, as I've always said, that it, it, it's interesting that I, one, one thing I've always said is that the thing that will kill The Simpsons is one of the five principles passing away. See, I think they'll just recast. I'd, I'm, I'm glad we're finally getting this down on tape so that we can uh, move on from that. I don't... like. I, Honestly, how could you recast the voice of Marge Simpson? There's nobody's going to do that voice. I think you've got you could maybe years of people knowing how to start doing those voices. I just don't reckon you can do it, and I don't think that you could. You could maybe, maybe Nancy Cartwright could do. Maybe somebody could do Bart, but I don't know. I, I, I think that that's got. I think that'll be when they pull up stumps. No, the <laughs> the artistic intent of the Simpsons has always yes, been they will keep on making it until it stops being profitable. Yeah, yeah. So you think even that won't stop them? No. All right. Well, hopefully we won't have to see anytime soon or I will feel incredibly guilty as if I have the power to take people's um, lives with this very microphone. Tomorrow morning we're going to wake up and find out that some freak accident has killed off four of the five. All the four of them. Yeah, four of the five. Oh, God. Anyway, so I'm going to keep um, boring people with my opinions about The Simpsons as things roll on and um, bear with me. Sure. (laughs) Uh, Folks, this has always been watching. My name's Dan Barrett. I'm Chris Yates. And we've been here talking about TV that we've been watching. We'll do the same thing next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Um, get on to our newsletter that Dan writes. Yep. I say ours, but just... Yeah, sure. <laughs> Take the ownership. That's alwaysbewatching.com. Sign up for the newsletter. It's free. It turns up five days a week. I regularly read it. Yeah. That should, that should count as some kind of contribution. <laughs> I sometimes reply to you about it going, what are you talking about? You're why? S- why would you say that? Um. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh. So yeah. Every day there's like story. Like it's usually up to ten stories about what's going on in TV or screen culture around the place. Sometimes it's video game stuff. Sometimes a few movies. Depends what I'm in the mood about that day. 
Uh, but, you know, if you need to be across anything screen-wise, it's usually in a newsletter for you. That's your place. Uh, on Fridays as well, there's a guide as to all the things that have debuted that week somewhere around the world. So, by somewhere around the world, it's usually like the UK, US, or Australia. But yeah, if the show's debuted that week... New Zealand? Uh, don't really. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Almighty Johnsons, did you ever see that? That was I a did. great New Zealand show. Yeah. There's, I'm sure there's been others. You know what? On average, I would say that New Zealand TV is like superior to Australian TV. <laughs> Probably right, yeah, yeah. There's something about the earthiness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Earthiness and creativity, I think, comes out of the New Zealand production sector that we just don't find in Australia. Mm, take that, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's just generally very good. Um, well, I just keep derailing you when you're trying to wrap this thing up. Chris, I'm out of here. I'm out of here too, Dan. Thanks heaps for having me once again.